The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Thanks and praise be unto you, God of all grace, because you have delivered our souls from the bondage of Satan and have saved us through the Red Sea of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Cleanse us evermore with his blood, that with all your saints we may continually praise you. Amen. I invite you to open up your scriptures to Psalm 66. We will be looking at Psalm 66 together today. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. Who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living, and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Well, good day to everyone. This is Pastor Keeker, and I am sitting in the beautiful sanctuary of Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri. And I am joined here today with Casey Walks. Welcome, Casey. Thank you. Recently engaged Casey Walks. Yes. What will the last name change to? Young. Casey Young. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. On the engagement. Thanks. And have you set a date yet? No. Okay. It, probably next year when I'm done with school. Do you Just because of the virus. Can we tell this to people yet? Or are we yeah. Just, okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's smart. That's wise to push it back. I just, I don't want to prevent anybody from coming um, if they want to, you know. So. Smart. So, Casey, you are a college student. Yep, third year. Third year student mm -hmm. at Washington University. Tell me what you're studying at WashU. I am a double major in religious studies and classical history. Religious studies and classical history. Yep. Three years at WashU. Um, how's that been? It's been a journey. Um, took a while to figure out like what I was interested in. But it's been good. I went in wanting to do international relations, and now I just study 
history, basically, of early Christianity. This could be like a three-hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What period of er the early church Um, are you studying? Well, right now I'm studying, we'll say, um, fifth century um, monasticism. Okay, good, because I I have, well, it's a little bit prior to your date, but I have an Athanasius quote later for us. Oh, Athanasius. But that's fun. Yes? What are your thoughts on Athanasius? I mean, he's all right. He's all right. <laughs> he wrote a good creed. Well, he was responsible for getting the people together to write the creed. There were a lot of people before him. It wasn't just him. Like, right, sure. But, I mean, there's a reason why we call it the Athanasian Creed. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Somebody's name has to be put on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess so. What, okay, so you said it took you a while to figure out what you liked. Um, what were some of the things that you were studying? So, like I said, I started out with the international relations, took one class on that. It was terrible. I hated it. It was like a lecture class with 300 people, and it was like, there's like no personal relation. I, I didn't like it. So I started taking smaller classes, and I always wanted to read the New Testament, so I took Greek. I was like, well, got to do it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> so I did it, and then I just got sucked in. That was pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I took Greek. And um, a class on scriptural and cultural traditions, so all the Abrahamic traditions, Judaism, Christianity, um, Islam, a class on all three of them um, in the same semester. And then after that, I was done. It was just religious studies. And then after taking Greek, I was like, well, now I have to learn Latin um, to learn the early fathers. Um, And so I started Latin the very next semester. Um, So Latin, Greek, any other languages you're going to learn before? Yeah, so next year I start Coptic, um, the language of the Coptic Church, obviously ancient Egyptian, a big language for early monasticism. So the first, um, well, the first anchorites or like monks that lived by themselves um, came out of Egypt. What's it like being a Christian, um, a Lutheran, on uh, on a college campus, uh, Washington University? So I take a lot of classes on Christianity, and you get a wide mix of people. There are some people who are Christian, and they think, you know, this class is going to reveal something more to them um, about their faith that they're going to learn. Um, and then there are some people who had bad experiences with Christianity as children. They grew up in a church that could be abusive, maybe, to, like, to their mental health. Um, that just wasn't good for them at the time. And so... The professor, you see them try to balance those two people. Um, Because the professor isn't looking at it theologically or faith-based. He, I say he because most of my classes are taught by one professor who's a he. Um, Mm -hmm. But he teaches it from a historical standpoint. We're looking at historical text, historical evidence. It's not so much about theology or faith. And so making that kind of separation is hard, I guess, for me because it's not separate. Um, like yeah. for me as an individual, but it is taught that way. And so being able to balance that um, with your own beliefs. And then also there are a lot of stereotypes about Christianity. Like Lutheranism honestly gets left out all the time. Like, I know. It's What's like there's that? Catholicism and Protestantism. And by Protestantism, they mean Baptist or non-denominational or evangelical. And there's not, Lutheranism just, just isn't there. We don't exist. And so a lot of times they say something. They're like, well, you, the Catholics do this and Protestants do this. And I'm like, well, Lutherans do the middle. Like, <laughs> we're, we're in between there somewhere. Yes. And they're like, oh, okay. 
Next? Moving on. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I tried. <laughs> we don't fit the bo- the nice, neat box no, that we people don't. want. Um, I found that too at a interesting because you're at a you're at Washington University mm-hmm. Liberal Arts College. Yeah. I found that same experience at Southwest Baptist University, a private Christian college. That same sort of, well, Catholics teach this, and Baptists and all other Christians yeah. teach this, and I'm over here going just like you, like wait a second <laughs> like we're here <laughs> there's there is a there there's another group here that that so often gets left out and one of my professors once said lutherans are the best kept secret in america mm. and i thought there was a lot of truth in that because i felt it like yeah. like everything being taught from the classroom about christianity um it's like there's good in both like the two boxes they hold up right there's good in both but there's also evils in both yeah and it's like, if only there was this group that just held on to the good. <laughs> and I'm like, what is it about? Like, you don't know about us. Why? I know. I don't, I really don't get it. I don't know what it is. And I also like, it's not just Lutherans that get left out. Like in the category of Protestantism, there's like a wide plethora of different denominations. They're not all Baptist, you know, like they, they all are individual and distinct and different, um, so it's not just us getting discredited, but as a woman, right. like I'm personally like me. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, and then there's also like, there's the Catholic church also, but in that category, there's also the Orthodox churches, Greek Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodoxy, and all mm-hmm. that, that also kind of get left out. Um, what I've, what I see is that you're very good at, um, you're stepping into that classroom and you have a professor with their own worldview. Mm-hmm their own religious backgrounds filled with a class that all have their own religious. So everyone's there, right? And what I see you doing so well is you're taking whatever topic is assigned or whatever paper is assigned. And you're, I don't even know if you know that you're doing it because it's just <laughs> so well done, but you're, you're witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus. You keep proclaiming your faith in very, um, winsome ways. I'm glad you think so, because that's a big struggle. Like, you know, when you have a professor who's not trying to teach theology, but like, for me, that's, that's, that's the heart of it. Like, that's what I want. Yes. Um, so writing something that for them seems secular. Um, yes. And non-religious, but then like still putting in like my own voice and my own opinion. Um, it needs to be something like, it's just hard to explain. Like in a secular university, I can't come out proclaiming like Jesus like as a witness like right. you know every knee will bow and every tongue confess yeah, like, I can't do that. it's more like yeah. a history paper like I need to show them like what seems like dry facts historical stuff yeah. yeah and when you say you're using your voice your voice is being used to proclaim Christ and so mm-hmm. for an example of this the most recent paper you did mm-hmm. this is I still like I get goosebumps whenever <laughs> I I've, you took a paper that was a topic on the hijab well, it was an open topic. I could pick anything on any theories that we had read about in the class, and I, I chose that topic. So Muslim women in the hijab, mm-hmm. um, a lot of room to run with that topic, and you tie it into the liturgy of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Casey, what, what does a, a, a hijab for, am I saying that right, hijab? Hijab, yeah. Hijab. For a Muslim woman, what does that have to do with the liturgy of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? How are they similar? And 
tell me, tell me what the paper was all about and what you found as you wrote this most recent paper. Okay, so, well, this idea just kind of popped in my head, I guess, one day. So I guess I'll start with the hijab. So we read a few articles um, on women, Muslim women specifically, wearing hijab, the veil, um, which can come in varying degrees. It could just cover your hair. It could cover your ears, your neck, you know, your whole shoulders up besides, you know, your face you can see. Um, and then some, there's a full dress. There's a, a robe, you know, only your hands, maybe not even your hands, you may wear gloves. Um, so the only skin showing would be your eyes. So there are varying degrees of hijab depending on the Muslim woman. Um, but we read articles talking about why do Muslim women do this? Because in Western thinking, there's this large assumption that they are being forced to wear hijab, that it is a symbol of the subjugation of Muslim women, that it is force on them and- They don't wanna wear it. Yeah, but that's, that's not their case. As you know, so in Western society, there's this Assumption that agency is doing what you as an individual want to do no matter what anything on the outside is telling you. Um, it's control. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, if my husband tells me to wear hijab, if I want to have agency, I tell him no. Yep, that's the individual. And if my God wants me to give somebody money and I say no, that's me having agency. Then, so agency is not doing what somebody tells you to do. Yeah, um, that's it's called rebellion in my opinion. Yeah, I know, like that's what it seems like. Yeah, sure. um, but any time that you do choose to do what somebody has advised you or told you, if you want to say it that way, mm -hmm. then then that's, you're losing your agency, or you're sacrificing it to whoever is commanding you. Um, but a couple of scholars asked Muslim women, which don't get me wrong, Muslim women can be subjugated. You know, these rules are like in their own religious doctrines can be used to subjugate them. It, you know, a lot of Muslim women can be abused and it can be used that way. But what these scholars wanted to point out is that that is not the case for all Muslim women. Uh, Muslim women, for them, agency is doing what their God desires them to do, and that is wearing hijab. And so hijab, the reason why their God wants them to wear it is to cultivate this Islamic virtue of piety, um, of shyness, really. It's more specifically shyness and humility, and it is specifically an important virtue for women to have. Um, and so they wear it to create this virtue it's not that oh i'm pious i'm humble and shy and so i wear the veil to show to other people that i am this virtue no they start out not feeling that way they don't feel shy there's one of the articles one woman you know she felt very bold you know she was outspoken and she's like you know i needed to teach myself how to have this virtue because i didn't feel like i had it and i felt like it was hypocritical of me to wear this hijab when I didn't really have the virtue but she slowly began to wear it um, so she would start out with like just a covering for her hair and then you know she decided you know she liked that she would start to feel comfortable with it and it's not like she just starts wearing it one day she wears it for a day and she's like ah oh, I don't like it mm -hmm. doesn't wear it for a few days then she'll wear it again and you know and then so she slowly starts to wear it and she starts to like it she enjoys wearing the hijab because it becomes a part of her because it is creating this virtue of shyness and humility um, within her and in this way the hijab is an agent it is not just a symbolic representation it is something that acts upon the person um, and this is really important because when you get into countries like france 
where they're saying no religious symbols in public mm -hmm. and they say the hijab is a symbol then they take away the hijab from muslim women and it's not just a symbol it's a crucial part of them obtaining an essential virtue for their religion they it is necessary it's not an optional symbolic representation it is a necessary tool for them to cultivate a closer relationship with their god mm -hmm. and so you know, it starts to get into laws and, you know, why, why does this conversation even matter? Um, so one day I think I was reading one of these articles or I don't even think I was reading. I think I was eating breakfast in a cafe at like my school. And I remembered you had said something like the church teaches you to love her. And I was like, yeah, she yeah, does. And she was, teaches you things you don't like and yeah. then teaches you how to love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was thinking about it and then suddenly it just popped in my head. I was like, oh my God. I was like, they're, they're the same thing. I mean, they're not the same thing, but they function in the same way. The liturgy, you know, the church, she teaches you. She cultivates things within the practitioners. She's the things we say in the liturgy, the things we do, they're not just symbolic representations. You know, the Eucharist isn't a symbolic representation of Christ's crucifixion. It is a rite that acts upon us. It's you the know, agent it, that's acting upon you. Yeah, you know, it's God giving us his gifts. You know, it's not just symbolic. And in that way, it matters. And I remember I thought this, and I was like, I have to tell Pastor. And I text you that very second, because I was like, I got to get this down. <laughs> and I just, I blurted it all out, and I was like... Is, is that right? Like, I felt like I had to run it by you. Like, did, did, does this make sense? Is it legitimate? <laughs> and so that's that's kind of where it started. I mean, the, what I love about it is a lot of people don't like the liturgy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of Muslim women don't like the hijab. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you, find, you find this with people. It's like, you know, even my own self. Why do we worship the way that we do? Yeah. You know, when I went to SBU... Uh, Baptists worship completely differently than Lutherans. So different. So, I mean, I went to a Baptist church um, in high school on Wednesday nights for a youth group and completely different. You know, there are lights and there's like live music, you know, there's a band and, you know, it's jumping around and I don't know, where it's not like our liturgy. No, and I liked it. You know, yeah, I like it's fun. You go and I'm like, wow, yeah. this is awesome. There's so much energy. That's a hijab I'll put on, you know, <laughs> yeah, like this is great. And yeah. then I come to the Lutheran church and I'm like, what, it, what is this? You know, it's so different. So different. It is countercultural mm -hmm. and it is very odd and weird. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Lutherans will say, especially if they've gone to other denominations and seen how other church bodies worship, they will say at some point in their life, yeah, I don't really, I didn't, I don't really like the liturgy. No, the, like you said, I did those interviews and almost everybody, every time it's, I didn't like it when I was a kid. If they grew up in the You interviewed church. LCMS. Yes, LCMS practitioners. Which yeah. Thank you for everybody who participated. And they all, and all of them said. I if didn't. they grew up in the Lutheran church, they said they didn't like it at first. But there were some people like um, the spouses of some um, LCMS people who had been in the church their whole lives. Their spouses who had joined the church later said, oh, they liked it right away. They liked it right away. Yeah, some people. So And so this is the thing is, you know, I don't like it. And yet, when I leave, something changes in me. Yeah. And it's, a, it's something that every Lutheran knows by now, by having the liturgy impressed upon them for 
years and years. It's like the hijab, right? You don't just do it once and then, oh, you know, I, it didn't cultivate the shyness I needed. Mm. I'm not wearing it ever again. It's like, no, this is something that slowly works on you. Yeah. It's a slow process. And, you know, it could take 80 years <laughs> before finally it's like, oh, the whole time it's been shaping me. Mm-hmm. The whole time that liturgy has been, it's an external thing, but it's forming me on the inside always. And even though I don't like it on the surface, I, we still do it and we still use it knowing that it is forming it's for, it's acting upon me. Yeah. Um, and this is what I liked about your paper, and I know it's been a while since you've read your paper. <laughs> but what what is the um, what's the role of the liturgy? What's the main? So for the hijab, it was shyness, right? Mm-hmm. This virtue. The liturgy in your paper, you're you're writing about. Well, what's the point of the liturgy? Why is it there? What is it trying to change? So in every parishioner in the pew, they've gone through an hour of liturgy, the, you know, the worship order of saying back and forth these scripture verses. <clears throat> what's, what's the whole goal? What's the virtue it's trying to inculcate in the parishioner? It's law and gospel. It's that you one need forgiveness and then also that you have it now you know it's the whole process everything is about that from the beginning in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit you know recalling your baptism why do you need to be baptized in the first place and then what has your baptism done for you you know you needed to be saved and then you were saved and then it culminates all in the eucharist you know yeah the greatest gift <laughs> like Christ himself. Yeah. I'm going to quote you because I, I, have, you have, I have your paper right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm going to quote Casey Walks. Um, two quotes. One, you say, the liturgy instills the lesson of confession and absolution in the practitioners through ritual practice, just as the hijab instills the virtue of shyness, al-haya, al-haya. Uh-huh in the Muslim women who veil. So the liturgy forms us to be repentant Christians. Here's another quote from you. (laughs) Why don't you respond to this one? I myself did not always like the liturgy. I found it drawn out as a child. Mm -hmm. And once I began attending a Baptist church as an adolescent, I found it dull. Compared to the dynamic and emotional environment I found in Baptist services. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I already said it. <laughs> it's still true. Is it at least freeing to admit it? Is what? Is it at least freeing to admit it? To admit that it That the liturgy like... seemed dull. That it's okay to say that out loud. Yeah. And your pastor's okay not going to like beat you over the head with a Bible. <laughs> You find the word of God dull? <laughs> hey, I didn't say the word of God. I said the liturgy. But it is the word of okay, God. Right, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you get distressed or, you know, just stressed out um, or worked up, and it's like suddenly, you know, the Lord's prayer is in your head or one of the songs we sing in service, and it's like, wow, how did that get there? And it's, you know, years and years of coming to Lutheran services. It's just beautiful. Like, it's so balanced, you know. On the one hand, I'm constantly reminded that I am a sinner, and on the other hand, I'm constantly reminded that I'm forgiven. 
Um, and it's that latter part, you know, that, that really makes you feel comforted. It's what draws you in. It's crazy to me, but like, um, you know, I'll be talking with a widow and they'll, they'll tell me how when, when their spouse was dying, all they could say was the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, all of a sudden the Lord's Prayer comes to mind. And we take that prayer for granted because we say it every week mm-hmm. in the liturgy. It's the prayer our Lord gave us to pray. So of course we pray it every week. We pray it every day as Christians. But it's amazing to me how other Christians who didn't grow up Lutheran, they'll come and they'll visit, and that's often the thing they'll talk about was, oh, it's so nice to say the Lord's Prayer in church. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even they don't say it in their churches. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's such an easy thing. Ho-hum, here we go. You know, we're saying the Lord's Prayer again. But for the one, like you said, the spouse who didn't grow up Lutheran, and they come, and they find they find that they like it, whereas we who grew up with it, we don't like it. <laughs> it's those little things like that that we take for granted that a newcomer sees and goes, that was so nice that mm-hmm. you said the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. That's so great that you gave <laughs> communion out again. You know, it's like... Really? Yeah. I mean, these things, you know, we do, but it forms people. Yeah. Okay, Psalm 66, Casey. (laughs) Um, I left us 15 minutes. (laughs) That's good for us. It is good. I I mean, I I could talk for days on the liturgy, but you know what I love about this psalm is this this psalm, it kind of describes a whole story. Mm -hmm. And if you follow through the psalm, you know, they're shouting for joy to God. Um, they're praising him. All the earth is worshiping you. And it's, and it, you know, verse five is, we'll come and see what God's done. So it's like, we're praising him, but let me tell you why we're praising him. And then it goes into this story about how uh, the seas turn into dry land. They pass through the river on foot. So they explain, you know, the murkiness of the situation they were in. Mm-hmm. And then God delivered them. Um, right, verse 11, you brought us into the net. Oh, sorry, that's not deliverance. That's still bad. (laughs) Verse 12, you've brought us out to a place of abundance. Mm -hmm. So he delivered them. Um, And then, so what what am I going to do now? Well, I'll come into your house and I'll perform my vows to you. I'll praise you again. And it ends with more blessing. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. It tells a very simple story of, you know, I'm walking in and I see someone praising God and they go, oh, well, let me tell you why I am. Mm-hmm. And then they tell me what happened to them. Like something bad happened. This mm-hmm. is what happened to me. And God delivered me. And so now I'm praising him. It's very, yeah. it's very simple. It's a very simple psalm. Uh, it, it flows very evenly. Well, I was thinking specifically, like as Lutherans, you know, yes, some newcomers come in and they think, oh, you know, this was so comforting, you know, that you said the Lord's Prayer, but some people are like, oh, this isn't like what I'm used to at all. Like, you know, like, like, you know, this seems cold. It seems cold. You know, you guys are just reciting words on a screen. Like, this is so impersonal. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Um, but then it's up to us to explain to them why. Like, why, why do we do this? You know, the things we're saying and doing, they're not just symbols. We're not just rehearsing dull symbols. Um, what we're doing is practicing so that we can learn the things that we need to learn so that we can let God instill in us the message we need to receive, you know, confession and absolution and constant um, repetition of that. Um, And then hopefully once we explain that to people, 
and teach people, you know, what is the liturgy? Why do we do the liturgy the way we do? Then they hopefully join us in that celebration. Okay, I love that because <laughs> um, you're always, you, you, you're placing an emphasis on teaching. You, you have to be able to teach. You have to be able to explain or tell people why we're doing what we're doing. And I think that's so important because um, everything forms you, right? I'm one of those believers that like, when you walk out of the movie theater, you've been changed. Mm-hmm. People are being formed by everything, whether they know it or not. The, the, you're a product of your environment. The things that you listen to, the things that you watch, the people that you're around, the things that you're reading, it shapes you. Mm-hmm. It, it does. does. Yeah, I have an article for you to read. <laughs> I, thank you. Yeah. Uh, is it one you wrote? No, no. It's about um, how the secular world, I put that in quotes, is like isn't as secular as it thinks because they also have ritual practices. Okay. So like they have, right. it's called Secular Liturgies is the name of the article. Okay. Um, James Smith. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know the article. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is um, we're always forming people and we need to be like... When people come into worship, that should be there's there's a lot going on in worship, right? And you you explained it well. Some people see worship and they're immediately put off by it. You know, it's too stodgy, it's too cold, or why are hands up in the air? This is crazy. You know, yeah. people are put off by all different experiences. So the church has to be teaching people why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. And you know, sometime this is where I think you can go. You can like where you're off track is when you're trying to be covert about it rather yeah. than overt, yeah. right? So I'm a, I'm a big fan of overtly teaching people, this is why we do what we do. I want you to know why we do what we do because I believe that this is forming you. Like this is what this, and you teach people by getting it into their bones. So like there's external rituals and practices that I want our people doing. And I don't want to just be covert about it. Um, have you ever taken CPR classes? Yeah, I think like in middle school. <laughs> okay, same, same, same uh, concept. And Alyssa and I had to take it to prepare for Creed. Mm-hmm. And in, when you take CPR, it's not just sitting there in front of a screen and like following along with the words on the screen, yeah. right? There is that. Mm-hmm. They put words in front of you so you see it, but every five minutes they stop the class and they put the dummy in front of you and they say, okay, we're going to go through the steps. Like they get it in your bones, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, is the room safe? Um, the scene is safe. Are you okay? Are you okay? You start pumping. on, Like you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And the first time you do it, it's like, this is silly. This is, why are we doing this? Like, obviously no one needs CPR. This is a dummy in front of me, right? Yeah. But by the time you're done with that class, you've gone through those steps at least a dozen times that it's in your bones. Mm-hmm. So what they're trying to do is form you externally so that it's there. So that if I do see someone fall, are, is the scene safe? The scene is safe. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I start pumping, you know? It's there, and I think that is, that's the emphasis of teaching people. I want to be overtly teaching you, not just with the words on the screen, but this is what we're doing now, yeah. right? 
I, I see it with my children when I do devotions in the morning, and I, this is this is probably horrible of me to admit, but I've been changing my form of prayer mm-hmm. and then opening my eyes to see. Mm-hmm. And if I pray like this, my daughter will pray like this, you know, head bowed, hands folded at my knees. If I pray like this, hands folded like this up by my nose, I'll look over and she's praying like this. Right? Mm-hmm. When I make the sign of the cross, they make the sign of the cross too. I want it in their bones because it forms them. Yeah. Right? So that way when the bad thing happens or you're overwhelmed, liturgy comes to mind. Right? Yeah. The Lord's prayer's there. You don't have to think about it. It's just there. I want to dive into verse 12. This one to me was interesting. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you've brought us out to a place of abundance. So, um, obviously, someone's praising God, and they're explaining why they're praising Him. And uh, you know, the they say in verse six, He turned the sea into dry land. Yeah. They passed through the river on foot. So this is this is the Exodus. This is right? the Exodus. Yeah. They're going back to the Red Sea. Right, he, he. This is why I'm praising God. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot, um, and so we rejoice in Him. Then and now, in verse 12, we went through fire, through water. You brought us out to a place of abundance. Um, so I, I don't remember who I read, but someone made this point. I think it was Luther. Think about the people who are actually walking across the Red Sea. Like, put yourself in their shoes, their feet. They're on dry land. But there is a huge wall of water to their right and to their left. And if you put yourself in their shoes and you think about that reality for a moment, you'd realize that that just wasn't like rainbows and unicorns that day. No, it's like this could fall any second. Exactly. That would have been terrifying to see that water you know, how tall it was, who knows? But it was enough to kill the mighty Egyptian army when it came together, so it certainly would have killed me. They had horses and chariots. I'm on my feet, yeah. right? And so that reality of there is adversity and um, there is terrifying things all surrounding me and I'm walking on the dry ground, it's, it's both adversity and prosperity together. And like, you know, as a, as a human being who, who, wants, who wants to everything for my, who wants to be safe and feel, have my cake and eat it too, mm-hmm. I would have thought, you know, God, you did that wrong. Right? If you want your people to feel safe, you should have moved the, all the waters completely away from them so there wasn't any fear Right. of drowning or being killed like that would have been the nice thing to do why did you leave it right there on the sides because yeah. you know they're still terrified but that's the point the psalmist is saying he tested us mm-hmm. and he brought us safely through that water and so you always have both adversity and prosperity and prosperity he's not the prosperity gospel he's pulling from this this uh, verse 12, you brought us out to a place of abundance or prosperity. And the Hebrew word there, um, I had it memorized before we started. 
I forgot it. I don't remember. But that Hebrew word, it actually has something to do with like more space, more a, a more spaciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, that when God brought them through, He brought them into a more spacious place, like more room to run around. And uh, here, here's my quote from Athanasius. Ready for it? <laughs> Although the entrance, he's talking about the Red Sea, mm-hmm. is straight and narrow, once inside we see a vast limitless space greater than any other anywhere. We've been told these things by eyewitnesses and heirs. They speak of their trials and distresses. You've placed affliction before us, but then they add, you brought us out into a spacious place, and you gave us space in our distress. So this idea that distressing times create more space is something that I want to consider a little bit with you. Okay. So we, we, we're given the picture of the Red Sea, and the people are walking through, and it's a terrifying event. But once they're through the dry ground, they are being led to this land flowing with milk and honey all the space needed and the way I see it is in our you know in our own distressful moments Mm -hmm. God's creating more space in the room in our own hearts so um, when we go through times of fear and anxiety it's like you're walking down that hallway of a home and there's that door that you've never opened some people call this um, what do they say? You're, you got to get out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And when you open that door, it's terrifying because it's like, this is a room I never wanted to go in. But once you open that room, it's a whole new part of the house where you learn God's here too. Mm-hmm. He's, I can trust him in this moment. And that was, and here's the thing is that was a part of God's space that I never knew about. And yet, when we go through these terrifying moments, God is opening up more space for us to trust him. Um, you, this is why he says, you brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You, O oh God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver Uh, You let men ride over our heads. You went through the fire and through the water, yet you brought us out to a place of abundance. And so I've just been thinking about the space that God is creating for us through COVID-19. Are we trusting God in more places in our hearts than we were three months ago? Um. You know, three months ago, I was not primarily worried about God protecting me from a pandemic. Yeah. Was the furthest thing on my mind. I don't even remember what I was worried about three months ago. <laughs> uh, well, it, yeah, Creed's been kind of yeah. the forefront for me. Um, our, our boy, he's got all these health issues. And now, and now it's like this pandemic has hit. And uh, I'm terrified 
by the waters mm -hmm. that are constantly around us. Yeah. And, you know, I ask my kids every morning, what should we pray for? And every morning, one of them says, pray for the virus to go away. Right, Lord, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just take the waters away? Yeah. That would be the, in my eyes, the kind thing to do. But I'm not God. He is. So we pray for the waters to be taken away. We pray for the virus to go away. But at the same time, you are taking us to a place of abundance. Um, we're all learning a little bit more about who we trust in during stressful times. Yeah. So here's my question. Okay. Did the psalmist sing this after the deliverance or before? Because if they sing it, if they're singing this, or not even before, during. Mm. Because if they're singing it during, say, a pandemic, mm -hmm. they are reminding themselves of who it is that is watching over them. So they're singing to God, they're praising God, and they're reminding themselves what God has done for them. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. Remember that? Remember when he delivered us from that? Yeah. Right? So they're reminding themselves in their moment of distress, God has seen us through everything. Yeah. So he'll see us through this. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, I will go into the house. Yes! I think sometimes, I think that changes the psalm for me when you think about the timing of it. Mm -hmm. Because the initial instinct for me is, oh, they sang this after something bad happened. But no, I, the Christian faith is a faith that clings to God's promises during the distress scene times. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, they're getting through the current distress by looking back, you know, on the past, you know, what already happened, you know, what exactly. already us through. I like how at the end, you know, it goes back to, you know, come in here, you know, what he's done. I'll tell you, you know, what he's done for my soul. And it's like already assuming, you know, he's going to get us through this. And then I'll tell you again about that one. Yeah, he's already delivered me. Yeah. It was so hard for me um, because I see this as such a beautiful picture of faith. It's, it, was, it was very difficult, but because, of the, because the Psalms do this over and over again, I tried. But when Creed went in, when he had surgery still in the womb, mm -hmm. and I see my wife um, go off in the hospital bed, and I know she's going to be operated on, and my baby boy, our baby boy, inside of her womb being operated on. Those were terrifying times. Yeah. And I remember sitting there in that hospital room all by myself, and I was trying to read the Gospel of John, and I, I got through the first six chapters, and then, and then it had been too long. Like I hadn't heard anything for like an hour. Mm -hmm. So I got through the first six chapters in one hour and then it took me like 40 minutes to read the next two verses because I was just in shambles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember how difficult it was because in that moment I was praying and thanking God for a successful surgery. Mm -hmm. Praising him for delivering my boy, delivering my wife. Because I had to keep reminding myself, look at all he's already done. So he will. Mm -hmm. And you're praising him for the past tense of it. Yeah. Even though you're still in the moment of it. 
But the Psalms do that. Um, you know, the psalmist will cry out in distress and his life is at, in the pit, but he praises God because what he says, you heard my prayer, verse 20. You have not rejected my prayer. Mm-hmm. But, this is funny because Dylan, my fiance, whenever he prays, you know, he'll be like, oh, thank you, like, you know, for this, like, for a good day, like, you know, before, like, really the day's, like, fully started yet, you know, and something. And I'm like, why are you praying for something that hasn't started yet? But I'm like, it's so presumptuous. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay. Yes. I'll have to give him credit. Yeah, you will. <laughs> yeah, because that's, I mean, that's who, that's the, that's the hope that the psalmist brings, the comfort that they have. That's why they're reminding themselves, I think, of all that he's already done. So you, you mentioned liturgy at the beginning, and you, you tied that into when people come in here and they see a group of Christians praising God. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're praising God because all of our enemies and everything that terrifies, terrifies us have been taken away. Mm-hmm. we're living in the midst of our enemies and we're living in the midst of all that terrifies us. We're living in the midst of the Red Sea and the walls yeah. of water are all around us and we're all terrified. Mm-hmm. But we're praising God because he's delivered us. Mm-hmm. It's like the past, present, and future moment of it. You know, you're praising him because he already did it in the past because he's doing it now and like you're assuming he's already done it in the future, you know? Yeah. The end of the world, have you heard this quote? The end of the world has already happened, just time hasn't caught up with it yet. Mm-mm. A revelation professor to- told me that quote. Like I've it. never been able to get it out of my head. <laughs> but in the liturgy, you do have, because when we gather and worship together, we're gathering with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, mm-hmm. those who have died, gone before us. And in, in the Eucharist, we see heaven and earth colliding and this timeless sense happening, uh, past, present, and future. This is how Revelation begins. Jesus, who was, who is, who is to come. Mm-hmm. And um, during COVID, when we were doing the whole social distancing thing, we still are, but when we weren't having church, um, we were just streaming the service online. And my wife would watch at home, and she'd see me come out you know, to the altar by myself. Mm-hmm. And she texted me the second or third Sunday that we did this. She texted me after the service, and she said, um, I'm crying because you're all alone. Mm-hmm. And I said, don't you see the angels and the archangels? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not alone, right? Yeah. Don't you see them? Um, we're never alone. And because of that, because the angels and archangels, and the, all the company of heaven is with us now, we join by faith in praising them for God delivering us. Mm-hmm. Now, in the present, I mean, I think this would be my message this week, is in these rooms that God's creating more space for us to trust in through these terrifying times. Um, you step into the room, or as the psalmist put it, God forced us on us. He caught us into the net, right? Yeah. I didn't want to go into the room, but pff, in you <laughs> You're go. Going. <laughs> You're going. There's not, I mean, it was way outside of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, not, none of us could keep the pandemic from happening. Um, and so many other situations apply in life. There are th- those terrifying things you couldn't keep from happening. Mm-hmm. It happened to you. You were caught in that net. But in that net, there's more space for you to trust 
and to praise him for delivering you out of the net because he, he has. Mm-hmm. And if he has, then that means he will. Yes. <laughs> End with a mind bender. Thanks, Casey, for being here. Thanks for having me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee. Trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. I am trusting thee for pardon at thy feet I bow. For thy grace and tender mercy trusting now. I am trusting thee for cleansing in the crimson flood. Trusting thee to make me holy by thy blood. 